0: The Lord Jesus suffered for our sins on the cross for six hours, the last three in total darkness in the middle of the day. And at the end of that dark time, Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness of judgment and the cry of dereliction were both teaching those around the cross that God was doing a saving work in that place, and He was saving them through the One, the Messiah, suffering before them. Welcome, everyone. This is the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher for this ministry for over 20 years. We've rejoiced to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Our focus is to equip and engage Christians around the world in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And we've been at it for over 30 years now and are blessed that God has been willing to use us to play a part in proclaiming Christ to the nations. To learn more about our ministry and its mission fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. When Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he was making a direct quote of the first line of Psalm 22, a Psalm of David. That Psalm pointed to one who would suffer death and then live to sing God's praises in the congregation. And as Jesus spoke those words, he forced the learned Jews before him to confront the prophetic truth of that psalm. But that is not the only reason Jesus spoke these words of dereliction. God is bringing his judgment upon sin. This darkness of alienation from the light is here as Jesus is becoming, as it says in Second Corinthians 5.21, as the sinless one is becoming sin for us. And as our sins are bearing in in judgment upon Him, the Holy Father turns His face from His Son. Jesus is fathoming out and reaching to the darkest point of spiritual alienation and hell. And He finds its stopping point. He finds its ground, its final depth. And at the point of final depth, He stops and He cries out in the halt of hell's alienation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This can be nothing but a place. This can be nothing but a moment of forsaking. Nothing but a moment of alienation. Nothing but a moment of separation. That's that's what it is above everything else. There is no place where God cannot be. Understand me. There is no place where God cannot be, but there is a place where God cannot be known. Where God cannot be experienced and felt and touched. And it's in the place of sin and it's in the place of hell and it's the place of rebellion. Jesus is there. Individuals are at times perplexed by their own suffering. They're perplexed by their own difficulty, what they're going through. They see the awfulness and the violence of sin that falls upon the earth. That gathers them up and sweeps them away. They feel their moments of forsaking. They cry out in the same way the Lord Jesus is in that moment in a depth that we'll never know and never experience, hopefully never experience. He's experiencing for us. The wonderful truth we'll see is that in the midst of it, Jesus cries out and God hears his cry. And there's a promise in that. In the midst of your despair, in the midst of your forsaking, God could hear your cry still. And although you don't experience him and feel him and you don't know where God is, God is there. And God can answer all through his earthly journey, the Lord Jesus spoke to give answers to the life to all those around him. He was the one who was providing the answers, the insight to the life as they were seeing and experiencing it, and yet in this moment, he asked a question himself that cannot be answered. It's not meant to be answered. It's simply meant to express the deep, profound anguish that he's undergoing. The Lord Jesus lived a solitary life. He lived a life that no one else could truly identify with. He was alone, in a sense, all throughout his life. He made declarations that made him alone. If a man came along and said, I'm God in the flesh, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you know he's kind of separating himself from you. (laughs) You know that he's kind of making things that kind of put him off from yourself. But if it's true, then he's really alienated from you. And he's even further from you than you can even imagine. And The Bible asks a question, who has known the mind of God? And the answer is no one on earth. And Jesus as the God-man, if he is the God-man, if he is who he said he was, And that question is answered again with Him. Who has known the Son? Who has known Him? No one on earth. No one. And so Christ lived a life of aloneness. I found a quote expressing the solitude of Jesus Christ. It says this It was not the solitude of a hermit or a monk, for He ever lived among His fellow men. It was not the solitude of pride, sullenly refusing all sympathy and aid. It was not the solitude of selfishness, creating around it an icy center a cold and bleak and barren wilderness. It was not the solitude of sickly sentimentality forever crying out that it can find no one to understand or appreciate it, but it was the solitude of a pure, holy, heavenly spirit and to all his deeper thoughts there was not a single human being near him or around him who could enter. With all his deeper feelings, there was not one who could sympathize, not one who could comprehend. Spiritually, all throughout The loneliest man that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And yet, as lonely as Christ was from other earthly friends, he was never alone. The Father had always been with him. In John 8, as he's disputing with the Pharisees, twice he responds to the Pharisees' attacks by saying, I am not alone. My Father never leaves me. In the middle of the argument, as they're gathering around him and barking at him. In John chapter 16, as he's making his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he's prophesying that his disciples will all depart from him, he says to him in John chapter 16, verse 32, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. That's been his everlasting experience. It is the nature of the triune God to enjoy this uninhibited fellowship with one another. The Father and the Spirit have always been with Him and He with them. So how can we understand this cry? This cry in this very moment is a stunning thing to hear. In time, for the very first time ever, the Son of God is truly alone. With nothing but sin with nothing but the experience of the future that belongs to us, left for him to experience himself on our behalf, alienation from God. And in that moment, for the very first time, he does not, cannot call God his father. But he still cries out to him, God, hear my plea. God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the application. No, you can't say that. And here are the three things you need to now do. You can't say that. Stand in shocked awe. Here's something wonderful in all this. Even as he cries and pleads for mercy, he reminds us that we, in the sense of our isolationness, and we, in the darkness of the recognition of our own sin, and the just judgment that comes upon it, may cry out to God and... God hears us. Even though he doesn't say, my father, my father at that moment, he's like a sinner just crying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God hears him. It's a great wonder. God hears him. Here's what it says in Psalm 22, verse 24. Here's the testimony of the one that was being afflicted all through that first part of that psalm. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hid his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. He heard me. And God comes to his son at that moment of hearing, and he says to his son, in essence, something like this I think, drink in, your suffering is over. Drink in, your suffering is over. Your suffering is complete. And the Lord Jesus' next statements are, I thirst. And this is a word of relief, not anguish. When you're in the midst of a great work or a great labor, you just suffer under it. And when you're all done, you realize how thirsty you are. And here Christ is in the greatest work of all, bearing our sins, suffering on it, anguishing with not a word from his lips, not a word from his lips for three hours in the midst of our judgment. At the depth of that judgment, at the darkest point, he cries out, my God, my God. He tells us what it's like and what it is. And now the work is done. And it's over. And God comes to his son. Uh, says, have a drink. Satisfy your thirst. Your work is done. And then in complete and quick succession, Jesus cries out the words, it is finished. Tetelestai in Greek. One word, it's finished. And Then right after that, another word, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he who said, no one can take my life from me. It says, he laid down his spirit to the Father. He gave up the ghost to the Father and surrendered his life to him. And at that moment, the gospel writers tell us that the earth began to shake and the sun began to shine. And all those around began to understand a little of who this was and what they had done. And God was preparing repentance for them. And God was preparing them a way of faith. And God was making a way for them for forgiveness in His Son, Jesus Christ. And John writes, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him You may have life in his name. Let's bow our heads. A brief pause for the eternal consequences of our sin. Bravely, graciously, horrifically laid upon him. a tear, an eternity, to open up a veil of passage into your presence through his suffering. Oh, Lord, what I have done. What have I done? Mine, mine was the transgression, but yours the deadly pain. Dear Heavenly Father, we would understand and grasp and know that over the days ahead, that those who participated in that moment had to wrestle with what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had experienced. Days of desperation and darkness and groping. A day came, a day of Pentecost, when the word was pronounced and they clearly were told what they had done and who it was that they had crucified and that God, you had vindicated your son by raising him up from the dead. That he was coming again to rule, truly he was the Messiah. And they were fully laid open before you and cried out in desperation. What must we do? Repent, they said, and be baptized, immerse yourself in the life of this one for the forgiveness of sins. So we come to you, glorious Savior. We choose to live so often along the shoreline. Mm -hmm. We go through our suffering, our difficulty, and we use it as an excuse to turn from you. Instead of recognizing in the moment of darkness, you're showing us where sin would take us without you. The right response is, oh God, I turn back to my Savior. Immerse me in yourself. Immerse me in your life. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.